0: This morning in our text, we're, we're gonna deal with behavior. We're gonna deal with the behavior of the, of the disciples. Um, Jesus is with his disciples. He's, he's kind of walking through a field in Mark chapter two. And I, I would imagine that what they're doing is they're, they're outside of the city of Capernaum and, and Jesus is on his ministry and he's going from village to village, city to city, and he's teaching, preaching, and he's doing miracles. And he's, and he's walking through maybe one of the outside villages out of the city of Capernaum and, and he's walking through a field and as he's walking through this field, they begin to just kind of pluck a, a piece of grain. Then they plucked the a piece of grain, they put it in their hands, and maybe rubbed the head together and, and separate the chafe from the, uh, from, the, from the grain, and then they would kind of pop it in their mouth and they would eat it, maybe having just a little bit of a snack as they were uh, walking through the villages. And, and that kind of behavior begins controversy number four in the Gospel of Mark. Remember, we're kind of in this, this section of the Gospel of Mark, uh, his story, our story, how does the story of Jesus uh, relate to my story. And what we have is, is another controversy with Jesus and the behavior with his disciples. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they begin to look at what the uh, disciples are doing and say, that's illawful. It's not lawful for you to do. And so we read about the controversy in Mark chapter two, verse 24. And notice what they say. Look, The Pharisees said to him, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And with that question, and not really a question, but an accusation, not necessarily toward the disciples, directed more toward Jesus. What is going on? Why are you guys doing something that is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And what Jesus is going to do is this. He's going to respond. And in his response, he's going to give them a a different understanding of of who God is, a, a different understanding of maybe their understanding of the Sabbath. And most importantly, they're going to give them, Jesus is going to give them a picture of his identity, of who he is and what he's come to do for us. He's going to expand their understanding of the nature and the character in his identity right before these people. And they're probably not going to get it. And all based upon this controversy from the life of Jesus. So let me pray and ask God to speak to our mind and our heart this morning as we look at God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I ask that uh, from the psalmist that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your law. Thank you for it. Father, I thank you for the beauty of today. Thank you that we can gather together as family, that we can gather together as friends. And Father, I thank you for the teaching of Jesus, Lord, in the midst of a a world that's really, really changing in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. Father, your word says ultimately that Jesus has come to be our rest, to be our rest, that no matter what we are going through, the difficulties and challenges of life, Father, you are our rest, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would look to Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, that we would honor him, that we would choose to worship him Today, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So basically what I want to do is this. I want to walk through the text that Luke read. And I want to look through it in three movements. There's basically three movements. There's the accusation by the Pharisees, the accusation by the religious leaders of what's going on. And what Jesus does is Jesus then he answers he responds to the accusation. And then at the end, he gives an application. Very simple, an application why he does what he did, and the bigger application is, who do you think I am, and what implication is it for your lives? And that's kind of where we're going to go. So let's let's just begin with the accusation, verse 23 and 24. Again, we're we're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at his story. We're looking at the the beauty and the wonder of Jesus as he expands the understanding of who he is to the people. Verse 23 says, one Sabbath, Jesus is going through the grain fields, and As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, the religious elite, said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And what I can do is this. Most likely they're outside of the city of Capernaum, and they're going from little village to little village, and and Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's going, and he's giving them a message, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and I can see they begin to to walk through a field. You know, there's a a field, it's a grain field. Kind of like our, our, our property up back. You know, we get people that come through our property up back all the time. You know, they come and they, and they walk their dog or they walk through or, or maybe what they're doing is they're crossing through our property. I mean, I could see people doing that all the time. But as Jesus and his followers begin to walk through the field, they begin to, to see the grain. There's grain there and they're walking through. And by the way, they didn't necessarily have trails that would go through. They didn't have roads that would go through. So they would, they would just walk through and they would see a stalk of, of grain. They would just pick it up, pluck it up. And break it off, and then and probably rub the, the the top together, the head together, and they would separate the chafe, and they get the head, and they would just kind of pop it in their mouth, if you will, and eat it like a little bit of a snack as they're walking through. They're probably very very hungry. You know, not sure where they're going to uh, end up and what kind of meal they're going to have. And we're, we're familiar with this, right? I mean, have you ever walked through a field and see honeysuckles, and, and you just kind of reach over and you pull the honeysuckle off, you pull that little thing out, and you and you eat the honeysuckle. When I was in Alaska, we would literally my friends would, would gather a half gallon of milk and they would just travel into the uh, into the outside of of, of the city and they'd find a, a blueberry patch and they would just pick the blueberries and they would put them in a bowl and then put some and they would just eat them. And that's what they would do. You know, they're just out there. They're available to do that. And that's kind of what's happening here. And what's interesting is this, with this grain field, there was actually a provision for them to be able to do this from the book of Deuteronomy. It was legal for them to do this. It was lawful for them to kind of walk through a field. And there's a provision for that. If you were a landowner, you made a provision for this. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says this, If you enter your neighbor's grain field... You may pick the kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. In other words, what you can do is you can pick it up, you can pluck it out, you can put it in your hand, you eat it. but you can't back your John Deere tractor up and start harvesting all the food and take it out to the market and sell it. You can't do that. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing at this particular point in time. And this is here where the problem comes in. This is where the, the conversation... Uh, the, the accusation comes in from the religious leaders, from the Pharisees. The problem is this. They were doing this on the Sabbath. They said, hey, listen, what you were doing, you're eating, you're plucking this, you're harvesting this on the Sabbath, and this is a violation, if you will. It's a violation of our religious understanding. It's a violation of the Sabbath. How? Was the eating and plucking of this grain a violation of the Sabbath? Because according to the Pharisees, according to the religious leader, the Sabbath was a high and holy day. It was an absolutely sacred day to them. Much different than we would think about maybe coming to a worship service. It was a high and holy day. It was very, very sacred to them for a number of reasons. First of all, it was was, uh, an important day, a sacred day for them, because it was ordained by God. God created everything in six days, and and what did God do? He rested on the seventh day. God built into the very fabric of society, the very fabric of creation, this idea of what? Rest. Rest is a good thing. That was sacred to them because it was a day of rest. Secondly, it was this. It was commanded by God. It was a command by God to take the Sabbath, to take it seriously. As they were in the wilderness, God says, listen, I'm going to provide manna for you and I want you to go out and I want you to collect the manna. And on the sixth day, what you need to do is you need to collect enough manna for two days. Why did he do that? Because I don't want you going out on the Sabbath the next day and collecting manna because I'm going to provide for you in such a way because the seventh day is a day of rest. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest for them. When it went back into the promised land, the the, the idea that they were to pull aside and have a day of rest was absolutely important for them. Third, the Sabbath was a, a reminder of their slavery. When they were being held by the Egyptians and forced to labor and forced to work, they did not have a time of rest. And so what God did was God created, God ordained the Sabbath day so that they would be reminded that one day in the past you were a slave to all of that stuff. God pulled you out by his grace and allowed you to experience rest, the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was an important day for them because it defined them as a people. There was a unique relationship between God and this idea that he ordained rest for them. In other words, through all of the other nations would see the unique relationship that God had with the people, seeing that they were stopping on this day. They weren't working while everyone else is selling stuff and everyone else is going to the market. They were supposed to have this, this unique relationship with, to the Lord that It showed them that they were different and that they would stop and they would rest. Fifth, it was a distinctive of Judaism. The law, the temple, circumcision, all of that was an important part of who they were, an important part of their identity as a nation, as a people. And the Sabbath was just as important to them. All of these were so sacred to them. It was such an important, it was built in the very fabric of who they were as a person, as, a, as, a, uh, as a, a group of people, as identity as a group of people. And probably the most important aspect of this sacred day for them was this. It was a day of rest. It was a day of enjoyment. It was a day for them to pull away and to stop and to rest and to use that day of rest as a way to affirm their relationship with the Lord, affirm their identity as God's chosen people, and affirm this idea that I don't necessarily have to work for all of this stuff. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rest and I'm going to ultimately trust in the Lord and who He is and what He's done for my life. I mean, from the very beginning... God is building into the very fabric of the Jewish people this idea of pulling away, not striving, not having to earn, but resting in the character of God, resting in the nature of God, resting in who God is, him saying, listen, I'm going to provide for you. Built the very fabric. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they took that absolutely very, very seriously. And they look at what the disciples are doing, and they begin to make this determination that, you know what, you're doing something that's unlawful. Not necessarily because they're breaking the fourth commandment about working, about working on the Sabbath, but because this is what they had done. They had taken the the, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20, that fourth commandment, and, and they had put layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of traditions. They had built on the law of God, and they had added over and over and over to their traditions, to this as a matter of fact, they had some 39 Sabbath laws, if you will, that they had added to the Word of God, and those Sabbath laws were actually the things that began to guide and direct and to guard their thinking. So here are some of the things that they actually added to the commandments. It's unlawful. This is what they added to it. I found this in one of the commentaries. It is unlawful to kill a flea that lands on your arm because that would make you guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. This is what they added. This is actually what they added to the law. If a man's ox fell into a ditch, he could pull it out. But if the man fell in there, he had to stay there. I don't know exactly why that is, but somehow, someway, they began to take Exodus chapter 20. They began to take this fourth commandment and add to it all of their traditions. One last tradition was this. It was okay to spit on the Sabbath. And, and I want you to notice the progression here. Notice how they changed this. It was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because that made mud and mud was mortar and that was considered work. You see what they did? They had this understanding of, of God's law, uh, the fourth commandment, and they began to add all of their religious traditions to their understanding of what it meant to walk in obedience to the Sabbath. And you know what I did? I went I looked up a Jewish website. I, I, I go, I need to look at this. I, I need to see if this is still something that they're doing today. So that's what I did. I, I got on the internet and I went to Chabad.org. And this is what they say about the current situation of the laws for a Jewish person. And I, I'm just giving you what I read, all right? I'm not, I'm not making any value judgment about their life, not any value of their spirituality. I'm just giving you. And I want you to listen to this. This is how the current situation of their laws. It says this. The Shabbat laws are quite complex, requiring careful study and a qualified teacher. That would be ringing a bell for me right there. Ding, ding, ding. At first, it's often overwhelming and seems like an impossible number of restrictions. But spending Shabbat with others who are Shabbat observant will show that eventually you too will become comfortable with the Shabbat laws as long as you realize that becoming Shomer Shabbat, which is a Shabbat observer, is a gradual process rather than an overnight transformation. You will also recognize that the wealth of the details provides for a lifetime of scholarship. Even those who have been keeping Shabbat for years find that there is always more to learn about this subject. I read this and I'm like, wait a minute this is based upon Exodus chapter 4 about not working on the Sabbath? It seems to me, in my mind, I'm not judging them spiritually, but what they're doing is they're adding to the tradition. They're adding to all of these things that there's suddenly you have this weight, this burden of behavior upon you about what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. I mean, if I have to go to a qualified teacher, it seems to me something is wrong. Is that why God created the Sabbath so that we're always looking over our shoulder wondering, did I do something wrong? Am I working? Is this a work? Where's the grace. Where's the mercy involved in here? When Laura and I went to Israel many, many years ago, we landed in Tel Aviv when you went to the hotel. And there's two sets of elevators. If some of you have been there, you've been to Jerusalem, you've been to Tel Aviv. There's two sets of Jerusalem. We were there on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, this is a Jewish elevator. You knew that it was a Jewish elevator because it stopped, it went up and stopped at every floor, and when it came down, it stopped on every floor. Why did it do that? So that they did not have to push the button, and that would be considered work. That's why they had it. And see, I think that's what's happening with the religious leadership. That's what's happening to the Pharisees. They see, they understand Exodus chapter 4, they understand the Sabbath, and what they've done is they begin to add all of this other stuff to it. And so the disciples, they're plucking, if you will, and they're harvesting the the religious leaders, the Pharisees, saying, you know what? What you are doing is is wrong. It's a violation of our traditions. And when you go and look at the gospel of Mark, over and over, Jesus is going to continue to challenge them. Listen, is this really what... God's word says? Or have you so changed your relationship with God in such a way that you're adding all of these weightier burdens, if you will, to a relationship with God? And there is no grace. There is no mercy. It's all about works and what you can do and what you can't do about earning your salvation, if you will. And Jesus will continually deal with that with the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter seven verse eight. Notice what Jesus. Notice how Jesus directly deals with this idea of traditions. It says this: You religious leaders, you have let go of the commands of God. On what you are holding on to your traditions. In other words, listen. They have actually set aside the very commands of God, and they've piled on their tradition. And they're saying, "Our traditions outweigh this law. Our traditions outweigh the word of God." Is what was happening. And that's a situation that the Pharisees were confronting the, the, uh, Jesus and his disciples, confronting them directly with this. You're doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath by plucking and eating grain. And Jesus says, okay, okay, let's just, let's just walk through this. The great answer from the great I am Jesus. Notice how he responds. Verse 25, we have the answer. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? By the way, did you notice that Hungry and in need, key point. In the days of Abath of the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You know what Jesus did? He, he takes them to the Bible. He takes to them to the word of God. By the way, don't you have a, a hero, Abraham, David. Isn't David one of your heroes? He takes them to the, to the Word of God. He takes them to, the, to their Bible, to their understanding of who God is. And, and I think he does so in a, in a kind of a humorous way. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Let me see if I can draw a parallel to this, because I do think that it's a little humorous. So I walked into Diana's office last week on Thursday, and I said, "Diana, how you doing?" She said, "I'm doing good." I said, "Have you ever, Diana Fisher is our children's minister," I said, "Diana, have you ever read any books on children's ministry?" And she started laughing. Why? Of course she has read. Books about children's ministry. She's read probably dozens and dozens of books about children's ministry. Why? Because this is her life. And notice what Jesus is doing. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the Pharisees. And by the way, guys, have you ever read that book? You ever read about David? He's taking them back to an understanding of the Word of God. Listen, they knew the Word of God. They spent their lives studying the Torah. And what is Jesus doing? He's confronting them with an illustration from the life of David, if you will. And where's he taking them back to? He takes them back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. He ignores the accusation. And he says, by the way, I want want to give you an example from Scripture. Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Let, Let me take you back to the life of David. And let me see if I can draw a principle out here for you guys to think about and consider. 1 Samuel 21, what was going on in the life of David at that particular point? David's on the run. David is on the run. He's running from Saul. And Saul's trying to kill him. And he's moving from village to village, city to city, town to town. Why? Because Saul has a bounty on his head, and he's trying to kill him. He's trying to get rid of him. Even though Saul knows that David has a rightful uh, uh, part to the throne, he's going to be the next king. He, He knows all of that. He's still pursuing them. And what David's doing is David's basically on the run. And he ends up in a city called Nob. And that's where the tabernacle is. The tabernacle is there. And so when, when, when David, in, in 1 Samuel 21, when David comes in, he, he comes into the, the high priest there, he comes in, the priest said, listen, we're on the run here, do you have anything for us to eat? Do you have any bread for us to eat? The priest says this, no, we, we have no food here, nothing to eat. But what we do have is this. Inside the tabernacle area, there's a, there's a golden table. And, and, and every Sabbath what we do is we, we lay out 12 loaves of, of bread, the bread of presence, if you will. And there's six loaves here and six loaves here and there's the incense here. And, and they sit there all week. And, and that bread on that table, the bread of presence is there as a reminder of the provision of God, the reminder of the presence of God. And it's there. But what I can tell you is this. You can go and eat that even though it's, it's, it's not lawful for you to eat because it's really for the, the priest and his family. Even though it's not lawful for you, because you're hungry and because you're in need, what I can do is I can give you that bread and you can eat it. And that's exactly what happened. He gave them the bread and David and his companion took that bread and they began to eat it. See, here's the principle that I think that Jesus is getting at. Human needs transcend our religious rights, if you will. Human need transcends our rituals. Human need transcends our traditions. What had they done? They had taken their traditions, they'd added them to the word of God, and they said, this is the ultimate. And that is not the ultimate, especially in this case when it wasn't bound by God's word. They had so twisted all of the understanding of this commandment to make it be something that they felt comfortable with. And here I, that's what I believe Jesus' point is. If David and his disciples and his followers were allowed to violate a rule, if you will, a principle, then surely Jesus, because of who he is, Jesus, a type of David, if you will, could allow his disciples to violate an unbiblical regulation regarding the Sabbath. It's really an argument from the greater to the lesser, the greatest being what? Jesus, who he is and his presence among the people, and the lesser being them. David was allowed to violate this law because of human need. And now in this particular point in case, what is the the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders have done this? They have simply added to the Sabbath. They've added something to do. And Jesus says, you know what? It's okay for these men to walk through and pick these heads of grain and eat it because they are hungry, if you will. Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, their rigid and narrow interpretations of the commands of God. That's what he was doing. And the point is this, that don't get so locked into your religious traditions because that's what they were doing. The Pharisees were looking at what was going on. They were making an observation of what? Making an observation about their Behavior, if you will, and make a determination whether it was lawful and lawful, not, not based upon the word of God, but based upon one thing, what? Based upon the religious traditions. See, don't make those kinds of distinctions toward other people. Which I think it means this for us. Don't we too have to be careful about our religious traditions and the things that we think are important in our convictions, especially if they're not necessary aligned with with the Bible, aligned with Scripture? I got an email this week from an organization that I really, really respect, Frank Turek, and and the the email began like this. Is it wrong for Christians to watch violent movies? Is it wrong for Christians to watch violent movies? And and I find that interesting because I think in some ways we're we're not any different than the religious leaders of the Pharisees. We want to know what's the exact thing that I can do and what I can't do. When I was a youth pastor, I used to hear this all the time with couples who are dealing. How far can we go in our relationship with each other? And I would tell them, well, you can go up the block. That's about as far as you can go. That's not what they were asking. They're asking how far can we go in our relationship? And I think that's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency, if you will, to hang on to our religious traditions, our convictions, and make them be the ultimate. We had an interesting discussion about this in our adult class this morning, about what was considered maybe sinful or maybe not necessarily sinful growing up. You know, things like drinking, gambling, uh, card playing, going to movies, all of those things. In one generation, all of those things were something that you didn't do. Maybe it wasn't theologically in the Bible, thus saith the Lord, but the culture all around it. The question actually came up because of I asked the question could I, as the pastor, wear short pants speaking to? And almost all of them said, No, you can't do that. And I'm like, Oh, there's a place in the Bible for that somewhere. Well, let me ask you something. What if you're in Southern California? I grew up in Southern California, we have planted church and Southern California. And and so my point is that we have to be very careful. And I think that's what Jesus do. We have to be very careful about our convictions. We have to be very confer- careful about how we put our behavior on other people and what they do. And remember, this is about the religious tradition. The Pharisees had changed the religious traditions around. And they'd added to them. And when they added to them, it became more of a burden to the people. Oh, I can't keep this. I don't know how to do this. I can't. It's too much. It's too big. And Jesus even talked about the weightier provisions of the law. He said, listen, you put all of these weightier provisions of the law on people and it's a burden to them and I can't get rid of them. They can't do so what Jesus does, there's this accusation. He deals with the accusation with, with, with his answer about what is appropriate. And, and then he gives the application. And I think this is where we end here. This is the application. Verses 27 and 28. Two points of application. First one is this: there is the blessing of the Sabbath. Look at verse 27. This is the application. This is how Jesus responds. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created everything and it was all good, right? And on the seventh day, what did God do? God rested. If you look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, the Sabbath was given to be a blessing to the people. It was designed to be a day of rest. It was designed to be a day of worship. It was designed to be a day of coming together as a community of faith. It was designed to do all of those things, to pull to the wonder and the beauty of a relationship with God to pull away from all of that stuff and to center their lives, if you will, on who God is and his provision for them in a wonderful and powerful way. This day of rest was to be a time of refreshment, not a day of restriction, not out of a duty, but out of delight. And unfortunately, what the religious leaders had done, they'd added a bunch of laws to us. I want you to see how, how far they had gone with this with their traditions and their laws. Next week we're gonna look at this text, but Mark chapter three, verse four. Notice, this is a violation of the Sabbath again. And notice the, the implication, notice how the people respond. Jesus said to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Isn't that scary? Don't you think that's a little frightening? Is it okay to save a life on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do good? And they were, they were so locked into their religious traditions. They didn't know what to say. Am I going to get kicked out of the synagogue? Am I going to get kicked out of the church? Am I going to get kicked out? They didn't know how to respond. And Jesus is going to deal with it next week. He's going to deal with it. You are so locked into all of your religious stuff that you can't even respond. One last illustration from John chapter 5. Jesus is outside of Jerusalem. He's near the sheep gate. And there's a man there, 38 years. 38 years he's outside the sheep gate. He's laying there. He's an invalid. He can't walk. 38 years he's been in that condition. And Jesus walks up to the guy outside of Jerusalem, sheep gate, and he says, by the way, do you want to get help? Do you want to, you want to be healed? John chapter 5. Let me just read the dialogue. I'm going to put it on the screen. Notice what he says. John chapter 5 verse seventeen, verse 7 says this. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. They had this idea that the pool was there. And if the water is stirred up, an angel has come down from, a water has stirred up, and if they get into the water, if they're the first one in the water, they're going to be healed. And that's why he was there. That's what he was waiting. He's waiting for that. Could you imagine waiting for the water to be stirred up so that you can be healed? Imagine how difficult that was. Verse 7, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It means he can't get in the water. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Do you see the hardness of the religious leader's life? i got to believe they knew exactly who this guy was. He'd been in the village for 38 years. I don't know how many times he has been sitting outside there. And do you see the response of their heart? They are elevating their understanding of religious traditions and what to do on this. They were elevating it above everything else. And all they cared about was not grace and mercy. All they cared about was what? You're carrying your mat and you're working on the Sabbath. What a horrible condition of the human heart. No compassion, no grace, no mercy. And by the way, do you hear how they responded? We want to know the name of the guy who said that you can get up, take up your mat and walk. We want to know who that guy is because what's he doing? He is showing he has authority above our religious traditions and above the law. And Jesus confronts them and their understanding of who he is and what he's done for them. Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath is a good thing. The Sabbath is a day of rest. There's a principle there, it's a day of rest. What do you believe about the Sabbath? What do you believe about rest? Do you believe about having a day of rest on the Sabbath? Do you have a Sabbath day where you stop all your work and orient your life to who God is and what he's done for us? Just by way of illustration, when I was at Denver Seminary, we left here and I immediately went into classes. And the last time that I decided that I would work, do homework on, uh, at that summary was in, in January 30th. You know, when you're a college student, and some of you're really busy, your college, you're, we're all busy, and sometimes we have in the back we have this looming idea that we have to be doing something, we have to be doing this, or we have to be doing this. Or I have to do this. And it was January 30th, 2000. anybody remember that day? I'd say the Rams played the Super Bowl. That's what it was. And I did a paper that day. I did a paper that day. And I got done with that paper, and I said, I am never going to do that again. I'm never working on the Sabbath again. Never working on Sunday. Pastor Bruce, who used to pastor here, he did the same thing. He's the one that put that idea in my head. He said, you know what? When I went to school, I never, I never worked on Sunday. And that was the last paper that I ever did on a Sunday. Because I decided that I needed a day of rest. I needed one day to be in my church. I needed one day to be among my family. I needed one day in my mind, in my heart to say, I'm not doing anything else, but I'm going to delight myself in the relationship. I'm going to delight myself in the people around me. I'm going to delight myself in all of what God would have for me. And I'm not going to do anything. And what it did was it freed my mind up and it freed my heart up. And it allowed me to rest. And it allowed me what. To trust Him for all the other things going on in my life. To trust Him for my time. To trust Him that I would get all of those other things. It becomes an element of trust in how we worship the Lord. The Sabbath is a good thing. The last thing here, and then I'm done, is this. The blessing is the blessing of the Savior. Look at verse 28. This is why Jesus is confronting them. Verse 20, it says this. So the Son of Man is Lord Notice what it is, even of the Sabbath. Let me ask you something. Who is, who is the Lord of the Sabbath in the Old Testament? God is. He ordained it. He established it. He commanded it. He did all of it. He modeled that. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus comes along and says, by the way, I'm the son of man. That's a title from Daniel chapter 7 about one day the son of man reigning from heaven. Being Lord over everything, he takes that title, a favorite title of him, applies that to his life, and says, By the way, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am that Lord, even of the Sabbath. By the way, what do you believe about me? This isn't about fasting, this isn't about forgiveness of sin. This isn't about any of that, me being the bridesmaid. All of those are controversial things. But right now, I want you to know and understand that I am Lord even of the Sabbath. By the way, in a parallel text, Matthew chapter 12, it says this, I tell you the truth, something greater than the temple was here. You see what he did? He took that religious distinctive, temple, and he elevated himself to say, listen, the Sabbath is about me, and the temple is going to be destroyed. But ultimately, all of life is about me because I am the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? I, I think that's the point that he's getting here. Is Jesus the Lord of our lives? And do we trust him for who he is and what he would do for us? Tim Keller, one last quote that we're done, talks about the identity, the self-awareness of Jesus, of who he is, and this idea of being the son of man and Lord of the Sabbath. Notice what he says. His Jesus self-awareness is startling. No other teacher has made anything like the claim that he makes. Jesus is sovereign even over the Sabbath. So you see what Jesus does? He takes this accusation by the religious leaders about picking and eating, producing harvests by eating heads of grain, if you will, on the Sabbath day. And he answers them in a beautiful way by pointing them to the Old Testament, the Word of God, and says, listen, you cannot hang on to your religious traditions. You cannot violate the Word of God. And by the way, I, as the Son of Man, i am Lord of the Sabbath. Where do you find your rest? I think what Jesus is inviting people to do here is, I am your rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about Jesus being our Sabbath rest. Are we ultimately resting in him because he's Lord of the Sabbath? That's what he would have us to do. And the religious leaders didn't get it. It was all about rules, all about regulations, all about all the externals. And Jesus says simply come. Will you trust me with your life? I am Lord even of the Sabbath. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you desire to be Lord of our lives. So, Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you. Thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross as a payment for our sin. And, Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of our lives. Father, I pray that if anyone is struggling with any issue of where you are at, they would find their rest in you. Or maybe they're a student in life. It's just really difficult. Father, I pray that they would find their rest in you or maybe a job situation, or maybe there's a family situation. Oh Lord, maybe life is just in upheaval. Father, you are our rest, and we rest in you, and we rest on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.